I don't know whether you caught the big news story of the week. The change in the logo and the branding of Tayton Lyle's Golden Syrup. Now, my social media news feed was, I won't say it was full, but there were a number of posts by fellow Christians protesting bitterly about uh, this, this change and seeing it as a, a mark of increasing secularisation and how the country was going to the dogs and how Christians were... Are, are, anyway, you, you get the picture here. Uh, I have to say that A, I'm not desperately bothered. B, I'm not totally convinced that it's a mark of the country going to the dogs. And C, I'm not entirely convinced that I want uh, Bible texts taken up and used as a basis for selling golden syrup. But there you go. You're probably going to disagree with me on all of that. But the point is that there is a sense, whether Lyle's golden syrup is a a, a case in point or not, but there, there is a sense in which we do live in an increasingly secular world, uh, a world in which we are increasingly misunderstood, uh, a world in which it's increasingly difficult uh, to live as Christians. Uh, we, we live in a world of uh, gender politics, critical theories, culture wars, identity politics, call it what you like, but there is stuff going on in our world which makes it harder and harder for us to live as the people of God. Uh, so there are many challenges uh, which face us the whole time. Uh, and all of us, I guess, will have stories of places where we have faced challenges to live honestly and truly and with integrity as uh, the people of God. I just, uh, well not just, I read a few months ago a, a book um, called uh, being the bad guys. And the basic thesis of the book was that, you know, if you go back sort of 50 years, Christians were held in sort of, they weren't held in totally high regard, at least they were respected and lived with. Um, but now we have become the bad guys. Uh, we are the guys who are seen as being judgmental. We are the guys who are being seen narrow and critical rather than open and generous. Now, there may, for all I know, be some justification in that, but that's the change which has happened. Uh, and uh, we've all have found this. It's tough sometimes to stand out and to uh, stand up uh, for Christ in a hostile world. I, last Sunday, I had to slip out of church at one point to go down to my allotment and get my potatoes. Not, not, not the potatoes I was digging up for lunch, you understand, but the, the seed potatoes, because they were delivered, uh, and that was when they were distributing them. And uh, I have in the past made it quite hard for the uh, guys down at the allotment, uh, because I'm never there to pick them up, because they dish them out on a Sunday morning. And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do that this year. I'm going to slip out, and I'm going to go down and honour them for what they do. But the funny thing was, I got down there, and there was quite a crowd around the little sort of hut where we keep all the, the stock. And they said, well, and I was dressed pretty much like this. And they said, well, you're not really dressed for the allotment, are you? And I said, no, well, it's like this. I've just slipped out of church to come down here and pick up the seed potatoes. Which led to a lot of banter. Basically, around, oh, you did, just didn't like the hymns, did you? <laughs> yeah, I said, that's absolutely right. Uh, but, and it was friendly banter, but there was a little bit of an edge to it. Um, 
One of the reasons I took on the allotment 11 years ago was not just to get fresh veg, which is great, but to have a group of people I mixed with who were not Christians. Uh, because all my working life has been tied up with Christians. All my social life has been tied up with Christians. And I thought, you know what? I don't really know any people who do not know and love Jesus. And I need to do that. And it's been interesting. Uh, there have been some really challenging experiences. There was a, one guy I was chatting to. Uh, I've never really chatted to him before. It was just before Christmas one year. And he said, all this virgin birth stuff. And he used some fairly colourful language uh, to express his views. And I said, look, I just think before you go any further, you should know that I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, he said, well, no offence intended. <laughs> Not much. Uh, but, you know, uh, that's the sort of world we live in. Uh, and it can sometimes be quite tough. There is nothing new about that. Uh, the, the early Christians lived in just that sort of environment. The, the whole time they were confronted by challenges to their faith. And uh, there were the other religions all around them. There were the traditional religions of Greece and Rome. And basically, you know, if you didn't worship the gods, then you were subversive and you were undermining the authority. Because the worship of the gods was the glue that held society together. So, that didn't go down too well. Uh, and then, of course, they had a different set of moral standards. And that didn't go down uh, too well. Uh, and it's that sort of situation that Peter is writing into. Uh, and, and there in Athens, you've got up on the uh, Acropolis in Athens, the, the, the Parthenon, and this great sort of temple, there designed uh, for the worship of Athena. And the whole time, wherever you were in Athens, for example, and same in Corinth, same in so many cities, same in Pergamon, always there, in your face, was all the conventional worship and all the stuff that was opposing you and making your life difficult as the people of God. So, how do we live in this world with all of that? Well, let's just take a look at um, 1 Peter chapter 1, because he helps us to know how we live, and he gives us uh, at least four encouragements. I've been sitting here thinking as we've been singing these songs, um, I've come up with four encouragements out of 1 Peter but there have been several others that have come up in our songs along the way. And that's, that's okay. So, here is Peter. And he's writing to uh, a bunch of people whom he describes as uh, God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the providence, provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Who have been chosen <coughs> according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Now, these people uh, are described initially, leave aside God's elect, we'll come back to that in just a moment, but they are exiles. Now, it may be that they were physically exiles. It's quite possible uh, because they were sort of scattered in, in these uh, provinces. It may be that physically they had left Rome and we're, we're now in these provinces, and we'll get to a map in just a moment, I think, which will show us where they were. But they're in what we now know as Turkey, uh, and mostly in the sort of middle to northern half of Turkey, up towards the Black Sea. 
but they're exiles. But they're also, in a sense, spiritual exiles because they don't feel at home in this world. But, and they're scattered. They're dispersed throughout these provinces. And that, the, the word that's used there is the word that takes us back to the Old Testament and the Jews being dispersed. So they're just scattered around the world and they're, they're not a big majority. In fact, they're a very small minority. And these are the sort of people whom uh, Peter is writing to. Exiles who are scattered. Uh, there we are. It's, uh, you can probably just about see it, but we're, we're looking at these provinces up here, Asia over here, um, Galatia, Cappadocia. That's the sort of area. Now, of course, Paul had evangelised down here uh, in, in Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch, but he'd never got up into there. And we don't quite know how Christians got there. Again, it, it's highly likely that they were Christians who had been in Rome and who either had been moved out of Rome under the Emperor Claudius in AD 49 because Claudius, there was a bit of trouble mostly with Jews, but it may even be, uh, there's a Roman historian who talks about the fact that this trouble that they had with the Jews in Rome was over one called Christus. And it may be that what's happening here is that there's some internal division amongst the Christian and Jewish population in Rome. Uh, and the Emperor Claudius says, you know what, I'm fed up with these guys, I'm going to kick them out. Uh, and there was a big sort of exodus of Christians and Jews from Rome in AD 49. Incidentally, it included uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who we read about in Acts. Or it may be that they've been sent out to found new Roman colonies in those areas. But, but that, that's, that's who they were. Uh, people who were, were sort of physically scattered, but also spiritually in exile. Because they had a sense that their hearts were elsewhere. Confronted with all the other religious worship going on around them, they didn't feel at home. Confronted with the demands to worship the emperor, they didn't feel at home. And so they faced all sorts of uh, persecution as foreigners and exiles in the world. That's from the next chapter, but that's, that's how they felt. We just felt that we're not really at home here. Things don't fit, we don't fit. And so they faced all kinds of, of trials and oppositions as a result. But then, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Then Peter comes to the encouragements. Uh, and the first encouragement is, is, is there in these verses. To God's elect. God has actually provided for them a costly salvation. God has taken the initiative. Whatever we make of the idea of election, God has taken the initiative here. This tells us that God has made the first move. It wasn't that we suddenly began to move towards God. It was that God, in his grace, in his mercy, moved towards us. Us, broken, fallen, sinful, rebellious human beings. God says, you know what? I love those guys. God so loved the world. And uh, that's where it all starts. It starts out in this amazing 
love and grace of God uh, and his initiative. Later on in the chapter, uh, verses 11 and 12, we, we read about the, uh, the prophets concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the times and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. This is not something sudden. This is God's plan right from the beginning. And that's why the Old Testament is there to to bear witness to what God is doing and to what God is about to do. Uh, And Peter, again and again in his letter, goes back into the Old Testament because that's where he finds the basis for this. So he's reminding these people they have this this costly salvation, which has come because God has taken the initiative, but God takes the initiative and steps into the world in the person of his son, Jesus. And back there, you've got these words sprinkled with his blood, which conjures up in our minds the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament and reminds us that those Jewish worshippers only came to God on the basis of the sacrificial system which dealt with their failure and their sin and their weakness and opened the door into God's presence. But of course, in Jesus, something much more amazing happens. Uh, In Jesus, we get this final sacrifice. Uh, If you go uh, later on in the chapter, uh, you find words that we were singing about earlier on. For you know that it was not with perishable things, this is verse 18, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So the first encouragement is that we have a costly salvation. And Jesus reminds us, that, or Peter reminds us, that as we live in this hostile world, we can take strength and we can take courage from the fact that God has acted on our behalf. God has done this amazing thing in Jesus because he loves us and because he cares for us. So we can hold on to this costly salvation that we have. And that reminds us, that in the face of all the opposition, we are held secure because of what God has done. We were singing about that in, in Christ alone. Uh, this sense of um, whatever comes, God holds us firm in his love. We have fellowship with him. We have forgiveness in him. We have redemption in him. We have freedom in him. So that's the first uh, encouragement. The second encouragement is uh, that we have... Hmm. You know what? This, this PowerPoint did work at one point. <laughs> I never know what happens. But anyway, you, you get the point. The second encouragement that we have is that we have a living hope. We go on into verses uh, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. The reason we don't feel at home in this world is because our hearts are elsewhere and our hearts are focused on this living hope of an eternal future. Trevor earlier on when he read from uh, Ephesians uh, reminded us that we wait for a new heaven and a new earth. And and that's where our hearts are. And that's where our longing is. And and that, says Peter, is is, is your second encouragement as as you live in this, this hostile world which opposes you. You have a living hope. You have something to look forward to. You have something that you are headed towards. And uh, this, of course, comes to us through the resurrection. It's not just that Jesus died as a sacrifice for sin. It's that Jesus rose from the dead to guarantee new life and to bring us this, uh, this great hope for the future which we uh, look forward to. Jesus was raised as the first fruits, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. He rose and we will follow in his train. Uh, we will be raised, we will get to share in this inheritance. And again, Peter is looking back to an Old Testament background. Uh, the Israelites had this promise of an inheritance in the promised land. And we have a promise of an inheritance uh, in heaven, in the new heavens and in the new earth. And that's what we look forward to. And you see what this is. It's an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade there is something about this that is, is lasting is permanent, is eternal uh, and it, it reminds us of those words of uh, Jesus in Luke, 20, uh, Luke 12 about uh, storing up treasure in heaven where, 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 where moth doesn't come in and where rust doesn't corrupt there's, there's something gloriously permanent about the promise that we have for the future Uh, And until then, uh, this inheritance is kept for us uh, in heaven who are through faith, this is verse 5, shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You you catch that? We're shielded by God's power, kept for this future uh, inheritance that's waiting for us. And we look forward to the return of Jesus. Because that is what will usher us into this new future which God has for us. That's what will lead us into this uh, great inheritance that we have. Hope in the New Testament is not like the sort of hope that we have. You know, We sort of say, um, I hope it will be nice today or I hope it won't rain or uh, I hope England will beat Scotland. Um, yeah, <laughs> that vain hope. Um, You know, these are sort of expressions of vague desire, things we'd like to happen. Hope in the New Testament is not like that. Hope is something sure and certain and guaranteed. Um, indeed, we're going to come on to uh, the, the, the fourth, uh, the third encourage, yes, the, the third encouragement, which is about uh, transformed lives, um, and that takes us back again into. Verse 2, 
Anyway, yes, back into verse 2, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The, the, the third encouragement is that we have is we look at our own transformed lives, transformed by the work of the Spirit in us. And that's the great uh, guarantee that we have. We, we, we look at ourselves, and if you're anything like me, uh, you, you, you sometimes get frustrated about... Uh, the speed of change in your life. You know, it, it, it's, it's not what you'd like it to be. You, you get frustrated that you still get things wrong, that you still uh, fail God, that you still do things that you know grieve him. Um, and yet, I'm reminded a, a friend of mine used to have at the front of his Bible, I don't know where it came from, I think it's fairly common, but little verse which said, uh, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I long to be. But by the grace of God, I am not what I once was. You know? And that, that's the change that's happened. And as we look at our own lives and we see the change, however frustrated we are by the slowness of it, however disappointed we are by our own failure, we see the work of God. And that should be an encouragement to us. Uh, and, and you know something? This is why it's good to share testimony. Because it's not only that we see the work of God in me, but I see the work of God in other people. Um, and sometimes when, when, when we talk about our faith, when we share our faith with others, when we give testimony to God's work in our lives amongst the people of God, that's an encouragement to others. Perhaps we should do more of that, more sharing of what God is, is doing in our lives. And so God is at work in us. And as we look at that work of God, we can be reassured that he is for us and not against us. And he's working for our good. There, there are, of course, some also some challenges about this. Um, Peter has an awful lot to say later in the letter about uh, the way in which we should live, even in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, he says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There is Peter again, going back into the Old Testament. Um, and uh, he has all more stuff in chapter 2, more stuff in uh, chapter 3 about the way in which we live and the way in which those around us will find the way we difficult. So there we are. We, we, we see God working in us and that encourages us as we face this uh, world which we don't really feel at home in and which sometimes makes it hard for us. And, and then there is encouragement number four. Um, and that is that uh, our suffering and their suffering, and their suffering was uh, perhaps a little bit greater. Probably when Peter was writing, it was around the time of uh, the first set of really sort of official persecution 
of the church under the Emperor Nero. Uh, the church has always faced opposition. You, you see that in Acts. Um, but it was mostly local and it was sort of stirred up by a bit of opposition from leaders in synagogues and stuff like that. But with Nero in sort of the mid-60s, um, suddenly you get this much more organised state persecution of the Christians. Mostly, we think, because uh, there was a fire in Rome and people were initially blaming Nero for this. You know the old phrase, Nero filled while Rome burned? Um, they just thought that, yeah, this is all Nero's fault. Um, so Nero needed some scapegoats and the Christians were convenient scapegoats. And so uh, he initiated some fairly severe persecution. And Peter is almost certainly writing this letter from Rome. So he's aware of the immediate pressures which this uh, persecution is bringing on these Christians. But this suffering, says Peter, is not without a purpose. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So it's not that God wills suffering for us, but it's God uses suffering in our lives. Wherever that suffering comes from, it tests and stretches and proves our faith. It reminds us as we survive the pressures on us that uh, God is for us. When I first got my uh, prostate cancer diagnosis, I had this amazing sense that God had my back. And so it proved. Um, And we're coming up to six years now since I had surgery and uh, every time I get the test results, they're all good. Um, one of the blood tests coming out in a couple of weeks, so we just uh, look at that and believe that God is still working that out. But it, 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 nevertheless, you know, I had this sense that God had my back, but it's still, there were challenges and there were stretches along the way. And it's these things that God uses to deepen and to strengthen our faith in Him. Now, it, it can go two ways. I mean, I, I've known people who hit challenges and suffering and it turns them away from the Lord. But if we're open to what he's doing in our lives, then there's every possibility there that what he will do is to to build us up and to strengthen us. So, all all this stuff which comes our way, particularly this opposition from those who are not followers of Jesus, all of that actually works uh, to, to bring about in us uh, a deeper and a fuller work of Christ. Um, James, in his uh, letter, just before Peter, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here is Peter, writing to this uh, small, beleaguered group of Christians scattered throughout uh, Asia Asia or Turkey um, and uh, really wanting them to know despite all the challenges that they face that God is for them 
that God is with them, that God has got their back, and that God will see them through. Uh, Perhaps just finish with something he says to them in the next chapter. But you, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now there's a whole other set of sermons in there, um, maybe for another time, but uh, you get the picture. Holy nation, kingdom of priests who have access into God's presence, God's special possession. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we know that we are held secure in you. Lord, we know we face challenges. Uh, We face opposition and life is not always easy. But we thank you so much that uh, you have provided all that we need. We thank you that we are what we are because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that we have a living hope because he has risen from the dead and opened up new life to us. We thank you for your work in our lives, the work of your spirit, as he brings change to each one of us. And we thank you that uh, we know that although there is pain and although there is difficulty, that we can triumph in that through the power of your Spirit. And we can grow in it and be drawn closer to you. And we pray that that will be the reality for us. That as we chart our way through uh, a world that doesn't always appreciate us, that we might know increasingly the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Amen.